We start a new series today. We'll be in it for a few weeks, maybe nine weeks or so. Got some good things happening this summer. I wish I could take more of my preaching time to tell you, but, but I, I won't. But be present. I know a lot of people are on vacation, but that don't mean you need to vacate from the house of the Lord and from the people of God. We want to see your face. So we have a lot of things in store for Vacation Bible School, as you heard, for children as well as for adults next month. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. <clears throat> and today uh, I'd like to preach a message entitled, Contentment is the Key. Contentment is the key. And as is our new custom, before I pray for us, would you take a few moments in silence and pray for me that I can preach God's word and not get in the way of what his spirit wants to do. Thank you for praying for me last Sunday. My eye has gotten better. I appreciate that. Uh, but just pray that I can be God's mouthpiece and I can be sensitive to his spirit. And then I'll pray for us. Father, today we had an opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. And you inhabited the praises of this house. And your Shekinah glory, your manifest presence was felt as we just forgot about ourselves for a minute and we concentrated on you and we worshiped you and we thanked you. And there were folks today, Lord, lifting hands, and they can testify that you have answered prayer, and they know that you're a good God, a great God, an on-time God. But then there were others, Lord, who lifted their hands, and they're waiting on you. They're lifting their hands, and they're hurting. They're doing their best to trust you and not lean on their own understanding. Thank you that you created the church so that we could come together and we can rejoice with those who rejoice. And we can weep with those brothers and sisters who are weeping. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together in your temple and you can fill us and fill this place. That we may be transformed and changed because of who you are and because of whose we are. Dad, as we come to your word, would you help me to preach it? Would you help me to preach it in the way that you've called me to preach? To not try to be like anybody else, just to be like myself. And to trust your word more than my delivery. Knowing, Lord God, that you're going to minister to everyone under the sound of my voice today. That is, if we have ears to hear what the Spirit is going to say. So, Lord, help us to focus in. Help us to listen. Help us to learn. Help us to live for you. We give you the glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As I mentioned, my family and I embarked on a trip from here to South Carolina last week to go and be with family, to be with Darina's grandmother as she came through surgery. 
And I have to say that as we got the rental car from the airport, it was my job, my responsibility primarily, not exclusively or solely, but I did the bulk of the driving from Nashville into Charleston, South Carolina. Now, in this journey, I took my family across three states. Going up, we started in Tennessee. Then we went through Georgia, hit that traffic and stayed trapped for a good hour. And then leaving the state of Georgia, we went into the state of South Carolina. Now coming back, I was like, Lord, you give us wisdom. And I decided not to go that way back, but to come a different way. And in coming a different way, once again, I took my family through three different states. We started in South Carolina. Then we went up through Asheville and came through North Carolina, through all those mountains, and then we came into Tennessee. So going up, I took my family through three states. Coming back, I took my family through three states. And they trusted your boy while I was driving. They went to sleep. They, they ate, man, how much chicken did we eat on this trip? I'm glad it was a rental car because there were crumbs and jelly juice everywhere. <laughs> but we did churches. We did Popeyes. We, I mean, we hit the chicken joints because in my mind, I'm competing with time. I, I can't stop and go into a restaurant. I got to keep going. I got to beat my personal best, whatever that is. <laughs> then we got the dog with us, so we can't go into too many restaurants, too many with the dog. So it, it was an eventful trip. There was rain. Boy, there was rain. And my wife, bless her heart, she held it down going through the mountains on 26 uh, on our way to 40. And, uh, but a couple times, your boy was white knuckling in the passenger seat. Because she was hitting a couple of them curves, Doc. They, I was holding on, and I was praying, and I, I looked at it a little bit. I'm like, baby, you do know you're going about 80 around this curve right here. <laughs> but we made it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Through three states. Three states. And, and today, Strong Tower, um, as I mentioned, for the next month and a half, I want to take you on a drive. And I want you to go with me. I want you to trust me as I take you on this drive because rather than going across three states, we're going to go across two states. Let me hear the church say two states. Yes, I, I need you to trust me on this drive. We're, we're going to go across two states. The first state is going to be the state of those who are unmarried. And then the second state is the state of those who are married. Uh, some of y'all are saying, I don't want to go on that trip now, Pastor. Leave me alone, Pastor. Well, I, I got to take you on this journey because everyone under the sound of my voice is in one of those states. You're either in the state of being unmarried or you're in the state of being married. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about these two states. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, Paul says, But I say to the unmarried 
and to the widows. It is good for them if they remain even as I am. So he writes to this church, and I'll get into this next week as far as the background of 1 Corinthians. But he writes to the church, and he writes to the unmarried. But then in verse 10, he also writes to the married, and he says, Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. So he's writing to the unmarried, and he's writing to the married. Now, within the state of being married, there are two groups Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians. So the state of being married has two groups. One group is where Christians are married to other Christians. Then the other group under the married state is Christians who are married to non-Christians. And so Paul is going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about that. Because whether you are a Christian married to a Christian or a Christian married to a non-Christian, Paul says that when you're married, there's trouble in life. So we're going to talk about that, okay? So, so, so I want you next week, and as we're going through this, just read through 1 Corinthians, take out your pad and a pen, and take notes on what the Spirit of God is going to show you because he's going to teach you things that I can't teach you about this text. But then there's the second state, and that's the state of being unmarried. And in this state, there are four groups of people that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 7. The first group that he mentions is the widows. So there are widows, people whose spouses have died, and they are in the unmarried state now. And then you have people who are divorced. They were once in the state of marriage. They went through a divorce, and now they find themselves in the state of being unmarried, and they are divorced. And we'll just let folks know that divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Um, um, we, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about grounds and reasons for divorce. So we're going we're gonna to have a good time here learning. I remember years ago when I taught about divorce at Strong Tower Bible Church, I had a lady come up to me after service, um, a roughly new member, and she said, you know, if I had heard this teaching in my church in California before I came to Tennessee, I wouldn't have gotten a divorce. And so the Word of God is going to speak, and hopefully God will be clear as he talks to us. But then the third group in the state of being unmarried is the state of virgins, or the, the group known as the virgins. So we'll talk about that. And, and these virgins in 1 Corinthians 7 are not just teenagers. Oh, boy, it's quiet in here. Y'all taking notes or y'all looking on your phone, signing up for Bless Fest. Uh, <laughs> these are old virgins uh, also, not just young ones. A lot of times we think that's just for young people. To be virgins, okay? So we're going to have a good time with this. And thank God, we just came out of the grace series. So if you need to go back and remind yourself about grace, amen. Because we're not here to condemn anybody, but we are here to preach the word. But then the final uh, group under the state of being unmarried are those who are single by choice. They're single by choice. So they're not divorced, they're not widowed, they're not virgins per se but they're single by choice, and that's the Apostle Paul. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to have a good time. So there are two states we're going to venture into, the state of being married, the state of being unmarried. 
Within the state of being married, you have Christians married to Christians, Christians married to non-Christians. Within the state of being unmarried, there are widows, those who are divorced, virgins, and those who are single by choice. Paul argues that the state of being married is not better than the state of being unmarried. Okay, he's going to say that it's not better, you know, to be married than it is to be unmarried. If anything, you look at Paul, he's almost saying that it's better to be unmarried than it is to be married. But in our church culture, especially for me growing up, there was so much emphasis placed on being married as if that was the ultimate goal in life for a woman to get herself a husband and for a man to find a wife. And if you haven't found that person and got married, then your life is somehow just messed up. It's short. It's lacking. Uh, we all need to repent when we've had that kind of perspective. Yes, marriage is a good thing. It's the first institution that God created, but it's not the only thing. It's not the only way to know God and worship God and enjoy God and have a meaningful and fulfilling life. So when Paul is writing, he's not saying that the state of being married is better than the state of being unmarried. Uh, but again, he's almost hinting that the state of being unmarried may be a little bit better than the state of being married. Now, now here's the deal, though. And he's writing from his experience as a single guy, okay? So, so that's what he sees. And, 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 and I talk a lot about marriage because that's where I'm living right now. And I love being married, and Paul loved being single. And so the good thing is that in both of these states, they have their advantages, okay? There's an advantage to being married. There's an advantage to being unmarried. We're going to talk about those and celebrate those. And then we also need to see that in both states, both states are a gift from God, whether you're married or unmarried. Look at verse 7. I'm just skimming today. We'll dig deeper and go line upon line next week. But in verse 7, he says, For I wish that all men were even as I myself. What does that mean? Single. But each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner. What is that? Being single. And another in that. What manner is that? Being married. So the two different states. And Paul says, we all have a gift from God to be in the state that we're in. When was the last time, if ever, you thought of the state of being married as a gift from God? Now, a lot of people think it's a gift when they get married, you know, the day of the wedding. But after the honeymoon and they hit, you know, hardcore boulevard, Rather than thinking marriage is a blessing, some folk think it was a setup or a curse. <laughs> you got married by the justice of the peace, but now it looks like you're overseen by the secretary of war. What happened? <laughs> you're all smiles. Now you're all frowns. And so God is going to encourage some of us today and through this series to see marriage as a blessing and not as something to be endured and just you got to gruel through it. Man, I tell you what, if I look out and this church is not, you know, packed the right way, I, I'm going to come to your house. I know Ruth said we won't come to y'all. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to find you. <laughs> Hang in there with us. And so we think that one state is better than the other, but Paul is like, look, man, both states are a gift from God. If you're unmarried, that's a gift from God. 
not a sentence from God to put you out in exile. Perspective changes everything. When, when our perspective changes, how we live changes. So, but if we think that God has me under a curse, how come he hadn't brought someone into my life or brought me to someone? Oh. So I think God is going to reset some of us so that we can see that the state that I'm in right now, the state of being married or the state of being unmarried, that's a good state, and it's a gift from God. Oh, yeah. Because watch this now. In 1968, I started out in the state of being unmarried. That was when I was born. I was born in 1968, and I was born un, in the unmarried state. And uh, I moved from that state to the state of being married at the age of 23 in 1991. Because sometimes God will call you to move from state to state. So I moved from Maryland to Virginia to Tennessee. I moved from being unmarried to being married in 1991. And I have lived in the state of being married for almost 28 years. Amen. And just because I'm in the state of being married today, I, that, that's my state, that doesn't mean I won't be in the state of being unmarried in the future. Okay? I'm not trying to be grisly, grim, negative. I'm just speaking reality here. Because in the future, I might be unmarried because my wife may go home to be with Jesus before me. And so we said, by death do us part. So unless Jesus should tarry, if he should tarry, rather, and not come for another 100, 200 years, Doreena and I will be separated by death. And usually people say the brother, the dude, goes first. Uh, but I'm here to say that's, uh, I'm going to outlive this sister. <coughs> I'm going to outlive this sister. <laughs> So if she goes first, I'll be back in the state of being unmarried as a widower because these things can change, okay? So th I think of my mother when I was preparing this. My mother, she was 17 years in the unmarried state. They got married young back then. Uh, she was 17 when she got married. Wow, right? And y'all thinking about y'all 17-year-olds, y'all like... Ain't no way in the world. Responsibilities getting married. So she was 17 years in the unmarried state. Then she crossed over when she married Harold Emanuel Williamson Sr. And, well, he wasn't senior yet. He was just Harold Emanuel Williamson. Then senior came a little bit later when he had junior right here. But uh, they were married for 43 years. So they were in the married state. And then when he passed in 2000, my mother has been back into the unmarried state for 19 years now. So we can go from state to state. Now, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag a little bit. Although we may change states, we never change hands. Oh, man. Oh, man. That went right over your head. You may start here and go there and go back here, but you never change whose hands you're in. Now, that's the key as we talk about commitment. I got to get there. And just because you're in the state of being unmarried today, that doesn't mean you won't be in the state of being married in the future. Okay? 
The Bible says that all of our days were written in God's book before any of them came to be, Psalm 139. That's why we walk by faith, because we don't know what's on the next page. We don't know what God has in store. We don't know who God has in store, if God has moving into the marriage state in store for us at all, okay? But we need to know that he's the master author. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. So I'm on this page, but I don't know what the next chapter holds. So never say never of what God can do in your life. And so um, another thing is that another reality is that all of us will die in one state or the other, okay? Some of us will die in the unmarried state, whether we were married or not. Some of us will die in the unmarried state. We're going to die in one of these states. But, but again, the most important thing is no matter what state you die in, unmarried or married, you die in the Lord. Ah, oh, man. Because you got some people in those states, and when they die, they're not dying in the Lord. They're dying in sin. Because these states, though important, they're not the most important thing. It's who you're in, not necessarily what state you're in. Are you in Christ or you're not in Christ? Because that's the question that's greater than are you married? How come you're not married? What's wrong? Uh, you need to go to the gym, lose some weight. Are you gay? Uh, uh, ain't no black people in your neighborhood. What's the matter? The church, we ask a lot of questions. We make a lot of assumptions. But as a pastor, I am pleased that people are in the state that God's called them to be in. And in that state, they have a loving, ongoing relationship with Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, 24. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he has been called or he was called. Remain in that state. Unmarried state or married state. Remain where God has called you. What's going on here? Paul is not against us changing states. He is for us remaining in the state God calls us to be in and discovering what God has for us in that state. Don't try to jump states and definitely don't do it on your own because God has something he's trying to teach you and even wants to do through you in the state that you're in. So Paul is saying, remain in your state. He uses this word six times in 1 Corinthians 7. He also uses the word calls or called eight times in chapter 7. So, so we want to know, where has God called me? And I want to remain there until he calls me out of there or allows life circumstances to take me out of there. But Paul is saying, I want y'all to be stable people not fickle people who play musical seats and, and, and you think that if I can just sit down over there, I'll be a lot better than I am over here. No, remain where God has called you. Don't go nowhere until he's called you elsewhere, if he calls you elsewhere at all. Because some of us are going to meet the Lord. We're going to die in the state of being married or we're going to die in the state of being unmarried. Oh boy. And just because you're in a particular state doesn't mean it's going to be easy in that state. It wasn't easy in South Carolina when we were there. Knowing about what happened in South Carolina several years ago when we visited Mother Emanuel AME Church, where nine 
people were murdered um, by a devil that they had the nerve to stop by Burger King on the way out. It wasn't easy in that state looking at that history. And some people think if I can just get to the next state, things will be better. Well, there's trouble in every state. There's trouble in Georgia, there's trouble in Tennessee, there's trouble in North Carolina, there's trouble for married folk, there's trouble for unmarried folks. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, 26, Paul said that unmarried people have distress. He said in verse 28 that married people have trouble because Jesus said in this world you will experience tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome. So we're not going to think that if I'm married, man, I'm not going to have any trouble in life. Or if I'm single, man, all my days are going to be easy. No, no, no. Again, we send those lies to the pit of hell where they came from. No one ever said it was going to be easy, but God did say that I will be with you. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean we don't have good seasons where being married or unmarried, we go through great seasons. Yes, we do, but there are also other seasons that for every mountain, there are also some valleys. And we don't want to be discouraged when we find ourselves in a valley and we think that that's all there is, whether I'm married or unmarried. Because we know we've been on some mountaintops and some mountaintops are coming again. So I pray that you hang with me during this series. The key to life for a Christian is to be content in whatever state we find ourselves in. Content, content. Whether we're married or whether we're unmarried, the key to the abundant life that Jesus promises us is to be content. Why is this important? Because there are married people who are not content. There are unmarried people who are not content. And once again, both have bought the lie that if they had something else or someone else or lived in a different state, they would be content in life. Well, turn over to Philippians chapter 4 as we close. Philippians chapter 4. Paul not only wrote to the church in Corinth, he also had a word for the church in Philippi. So what does the brother have to say to them and to also say to us about contentment? Contentment. We're going to define it in a moment. It's one of those words we kind of know what it means, but we don't always know how to define it. Um, but as you go to Philippians 4, Paul is in jail again. And he is writing to Christians, and he's trying to encourage them to have joy. And I tell you what, when somebody in jail has joy, and they're telling you to have joy, and you're not in jail, you better have some joy if you're not in jail, because Paul is letting them know that my joy does not come from my circumstances. It comes from my relationship with God, who's in control of my circumstances, whether I'm in jail or whether I'm free. But don't you dare let a jailbird or somebody under some serious persecution have more joy than you. My God. So he's writing to them. He's writing to us. Look at verse 10 of chapter 4. Paul writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So this church is trying to send him a care package. It's a good thing to send people packages to bless them. He's in jail. He doesn't want to be forgotten. Uh, he has the Lord in his life, but he also needs some soap, and he needs some underwear. He, he needs some basic necessities. And so the church of Philippi, they, 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 they cared for him. 
Verse 11, he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Okay? So you see that, the state of contentment. Verse 12, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everybody's favorite Bible verse, Philippians 4.13. But we pull that verse out of its context, and we really don't know why he said what he said when he said that. But today I want to try to help us all get a little bit of clarity on that. But let's first deal with that word content that he mentions in verse 11 when he says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The word Paul uses for content is the Greek word autarkis, autarkis, which is made up of two Greek words, auto and archaeo, artakis, auto, which means self, auto, self. But then archaeo means sufficient or satisfied. So the word content comes from the Greek word autarkis, which means self-satisfied or self-sufficient. So the Greek language is very, very colorful. So when you kind of put that together, it means to be adequate in oneself and to not be in need of assistance. So when you're content you are adequate within yourself, and you're not in need of assistance. Yeah, you may need some uh, sweet-smelling aroma that he's going to talk about there. Yeah, you may need that. But, but, but he's talking about, I don't need what you got because what you got, God gave to you to give to me. And, and he could eliminate the middle man and get to me what I need. Because the reason why I'm in this place of being self-sufficient, because I'm relying on the one who's all-sufficient. Uh, 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 uh. I can be content because I know who I belong to and I know what kind of God he is. So I don't need assistance, my God. A contented Christian is one who is enough, who is adequate, who is self-satisfied and sufficient within himself. He or she is not in need of anything or anyone because he or she is enough in God and has enough with God. Aye, aye, aye. So contentment is spiritual. Contentment is vertical. Contentment speaks to our relationship with God, and it shows up in how we relate to people, places, things, and circumstances. If God and I are not at peace, if I don't have the peace of God, I won't have the peace with God. And I won't really have peace with my circumstances. But if I believe God is in control, I can rest in him and know that he will supply who I need, what I need, when I need it. And if I don't have it now, it's not a need now. So contentment is to be thankful and at peace with God Regardless of people, places, things, circumstances, I'm content. I'm self-satisfied because I'm satisfied in God. So I don't need a husband. I don't need a wife. I don't need 
another house. Okay, y'all messing with me. Y'all don't want to give me no amens. Okay, I'm going to preach anyhow. Because we buy the lie. We think, I'll be all right if I can get another car. I'll be content, Lord, if you just give me that brand new Tesla where the doors go up on the side and I ain't got to go into the gas station. Lord, I'll be content if you give me that one. Then we get that one and we're not content. There's something else we got to have now. Lord, I'll be content if my wife got herself together, Lord, I'll be content. I won't be looking around at all these other women, Lord. I'll be content if my wife, da-da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da. Lord, I'll be content if you give me this dude, this man, I see him, Lord, at work. Lord, I'm praying for, I, Lord, I hope he said, Lord, I'll be content if you just give me that one, Lord. Or, Lord, I, I, I will be pleased and satisfied, Lord, if, if you can just give me that vacation, that, that, that one, Lord, if, if you just give me that one, I, I'll be cool. Man, uh, several years ago in our marriage, we went to Mexico. Because a lot of times you think, if I could just go somewhere, things will be better over there than they are here. You look at the pictures and people are drinking strawberry daiquiris and they're hanging out on the beach. And, man, if I could just get there. Well, my wife and I got there. <laughs> and we argued and fought. And, <laughs> and the Holy Ghost had to bring conviction because it's not about trying to go to a place to find peace and contentment if you bypass the Prince of Peace and the one who gives contentment. So whether I go on a vacation or I stay home on a staycation, I should be able to be at peace. I don't need something else to give me contentment and to make me fat. I've got God. That should be enough. Especially when things are taken away from you, like your freedom. And Paul is in jail. And the jailbird is telling folks who are free that he learned how to be content, self-satisfied, because he's satisfied with the one who satisfies his soul. I don't need assistance. I don't need anybody or anything or another place. I've got God. Contentment is the key. Because if you're not content and you go into one of these states, you're going to be doing a couple things. Let me tell you what people who are discontent do. Whether you're in the unmarried state or the married state, when you are discontent, you compete with everybody. You're always trying to win and, and compete, and, and you go to their house, and you're like, man, I need one of them at my house. And you get in their car, like, man, I need a car like that. And you're trying to be better. You're competing with everyone when you're discontent because you're in, you, you have this inferiority complex because you're not allowing God to give you who you are, your identity. So your identity is found in beating other people. You got a diamond ring of two carrots. Well, I want a diamond ring with three carrots. Blah, blah, blah. You compete. Then you compare. When you're not content, you compare with everybody about everything. No wonder you're not at peace. No wonder you're dealing with ulcers and, and migraines constantly. You're always comparing. Because when you're constantly comparing with other people, it's going to lead to the next one that's coveting what other folk have. When you're discontent, you covet what other people have. 
So there are unmarried people who covet married people's spouses, their jobs, their homes, their children. Then there are married people in the state of marriage who covet the freedom of unmarried people. The financial, they can just go out and buy. They're like, man, uh, I, I got to check in before I go get a burrito at Taco Bell. <laughs> they covet in freedom. And, and, they and some of them married folk will covet some of the single people because they're in the state of marriage, but when they get to the job, they take the ring off. When they go to the club, they take the ring off, and they try to act like they're in another state. All the while, they know they're in the state of being married because <laughs> they're not content. So they covet other people and other things. And then when you're discontent, my goodness, not only will you compete, compare, and covet, you're going to complain. You know I had to keep the seeds rolling, Ron. I, I kept them rolling because I want you to take this home. I, I want you to find this to be something you can apply. People who complain are not content. Oh, if I had this. Oh, this ain't working out in my life. Oh. And when you see them coming, you know they're going to suck all the air out the room. They're going to take all the energy from you because here they come. They got a great cloud over their head, just like that little donkey Eeyore with Winnie the Pooh. The sky is falling. It's so bad. They just Now, when we complain, it's an indictment against God. When we murmur like the Israelites did, just saw God part the Red Sea, go three days without water. Now they're murmuring and complaining. You are speaking against God because what you're saying is you don't know what I need. You're not a good, good father. That's who you are. You're not a good daddy because if you were a good daddy, you'd take care of me. And, man, I don't like it when my kids complain. We don't have any food in the house. Yes, we do. It's just food that you don't want to eat or cook for yourself. <laughs> Complaining. You know, when I was growing up, we had syrup sandwiches, wish sandwiches. You had two pieces of bread and wish you had some meat. What you mean we ain't got no food in this house? You lack creativity. That means I'm spoiling you. Because necessity is the mother of invention. Man, when you're hungry, you can make anything taste good. Complaining. But when people are content, ah, whether you're in the married state or the unmarried state, you won't compete with other people. You won't compare to other people. You won't covet what other people have. That's what God has for them, and he has something for you. So you don't need to do that, and you won't complain. Oh, my. There are unmarried people who want to be where married people are, and there are married people who want to be where unmarried people are. They want to switch states. But like Grandma used to say, you know how in the summer, you go in and you come out of the house. You, you go out the house and you come in. You, you go out the house and you come in. And, and, and what Grandma say? Make up your mind. Stay in or out. <laughs> Stay in this state or go in that state. And the thing is, when you go in and out of the house, because you know how they say, you, you, you're letting all my air out the house. trying to cool the whole neighborhood but see <laughs> when you do that flies get in the house 
when flies get in the house, they be buzzing around in this state that they're in. They're they like, this is different. I, I was outside. I was free outside. Now I'm inside. Bzz, people trying to hit me all up in here with, with house shoes and newspapers. It's dangerous up in the house. Bzz. So they go on the screen door. And they look at flies on the other side of the screen door. And the flies on the inside of the house are saying, man, it look good out there. Flies on the outside of the screen door say, man, it sure look good in there. And they both want to switch places. But God is saying, look now, be content in the state that you're in. Until God opens up the door and causes you to go into one state or the other. Oh, my God. So this series, we're going to learn what Paul says, the secret of contentment. Because this ain't something we just are born with. We, we got to learn this. How do we learn how to be content whether I'm married or unmarried, divorced, widowed, a virgin? I'm single by choice. I'm in the marriage to an unbeliever. My marriage, I'm married to a believer, but it seems like the person is an unbeliever. Man, we're struggling. I got to get contentment together. And Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in whether it's the state of marriage or unmarried, free or bound. I've learned so because I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. What does that mean? I can do any state or extreme or condition through Christ who gives me the strength. So if I'm struggling in the state of marriage or the state of being unmarried, it's probably because I'm trying to do it in my own strength and not through the strength that God gives me in the state that I'm in. So I can do unmarried through Christ who gives me strength. I can do marriage through Christ who gives me strength. And I can be content in whatever state I'm in. I learn contentment the more that I trust God. The more I trust him, the more content I am. And the more I can enjoy the state that I'm in. Stand to your feet, everybody. Stand. Please join us next week. Oh, boy. Paul comes out the gate because the church, they had some questions for their pastor. Pastor, is it good for a man to touch a woman? You got to come back next week. Now, parents, it's up to you if you want to let your teenagers stay in the services or not. But I am preaching the Bible. Okay, if you don't want them to hear certain things yet, you know, I'm not going to be crass, but I'm going to be honest. And I'm going to talk about things. And, and, and some of the stuff I know about marriage is because my parents allowed me to sit in church while my pastor broke it down. So, uh, amen. Amen. So, uh, <laughs> we're going to have a good time. Let's pray. Oh, God, we don't need another thing. We got you. And everything we go through always is a test of our faith. And what is the depth of our relationship like with you? Thank you for your grace because we're all in process. We all put things before you, and it grieves our heart, and we're so sorry when we put circumstances, situations, people before you. Oh, God, but thank you for being such a merciful God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you're going to teach us, how you're going to change our lives through the Word of God. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that as we're living in this world, we don't have to be of the world and how they think about relationships. 
So we bring it all to the altar and say, Lord, have your way. I pray, Lord, that our unmarried folks will be blessed and encouraged, that they will see and say, there's nothing wrong with me for being unmarried at this state in my life. And for our married folks, Lord, some who have some very challenging circumstances at home, people in this body, Lord, who are thinking about divorce, Lord, I pray that you would speak a sure word to them and that they would recognize that the God who brought them together can keep them together. Oh, Lord, would you do all these things that we can't do? That's why we close every service by saying, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. Lord, raise the dead. Give sight to the blind. Heal, Lord, set free. And we'll be very careful to give you all of the praise, the honor, and the glory. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask it all. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed day. Don't forget the reception for the Friarsons is in the fellowship hall right now.